This podcast is brought to you by the new Yahoo Finance Premium. If you're looking to take your investing to the next level, Premium has you covered. Try it free at yahoofinance.com slash premium. From Yahoo Finance, this is Ballots and Dollars, a podcast about the politics that affect your pocketbook. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm Alexis Christophorus. Today, we are talking about Senator Elizabeth Warren's warning that the economy is about to crash. Is she right? And if so, no. what can we do to prevent it? Rick Newman's already weighed in. Also joining us is Jessica Smith, our Washington, D.C. correspondent, joining us from our D.C. Bureau. All right. So first off, a little bit of what Senator Warren is saying. This is a quote. She is, she's warning lights are flashing. Whether it's this year or next year, the odds of another economic downturn are high and growing. Congress and regulators should act immediately to tamp down these threats before it's too late. Rick, just your initial reaction to, to the letter she recently wrote. Dun, dun. I know. It does sort of have that feel, doesn't it? <laughs> Here, so here's, a headli- here's the headline of what she wrote in Medium, which is where she puts all her policy ideas. The coming economic crash and how to stop it. This sounds like one of those crappy financial newsletters, you know, like some two-bit fly-by-night thing, like get, put all your money in gold. That's uh, – here, look at this. I mean like big head, a big headline – uh, against the dark backdrop with some kind of scary is that animal. A bowl? What is that? I don't know. It's, I couldn't tell. It looks like a deranged bowl is right, what it is. Because I, it's like about it's, to crash, it's so it's sick. deranged. Yeah, it's sick. Or maybe it's uh, maybe it's rabid. Um, so she is uh, – Well, you know what? Wait, before we really dig in here, let's call it what it is. She did – she was among a few other people, by the way, who call the 2008 financial eh, crash. I'm, I'm not – she – so yes and no. So she had been complaining for years. I mean, she, you know, she's a long, she's a, basically a lifelong critic of Wall Street, who was complaining about bank lending practices for years before the 2008 financial crash, and you know, she complained about stuff like the usurious uh, interest rates on credit cards, um, thing, you know, ways banks uh, would, you know, tack on fees and sort of trick people into just taking on more and more debt. Um, whether it's on credit cards, mortgages, and stuff like that. I mean, she kind of built a, an area of expertise around consumer credit and consumer lending. So that's what she focused on on a career basis. And those are that is not really what caused the financial crash in 2008. I mean, there was a giant housing bubble, which she did not predict the housing bubble. Uh, she didn't really talk about the abusive um, underwriting standards. Uh, there was kind of a Ponzi scheme going on with people buying houses because they thought house properties would always. I mean, she didn't predict all of that the stuff. The subprime she just, lending scandal. She just yeah. she just was kind of like always a doomsayer, and then and then finally doom finally happened. Right. So she was like the broken clock that was right twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay, I mean she. I, I mean I give her credit for the work she's done on those topics, but I'm I don't buy that she's just kind of a soothsayer on economic doom. And with regard to the st- some of the stuff she's talking about here, I'm, I think this is actually economic scaremongering. I mean, uh, yeah, Elizabeth I Warren say, has some has some yeah. solid ideas, but not on this. Well, she she runs down a list of things she thinks is wrong. Let us just remember, as we do this, the backdrop to all this is the unemployment rate is at a 50-year low. Yep. Wages are moving higher, and the Federal Reserve is on our side, constantly telling us, in plain English, they're ready to cut interest rates. Yeah. So she's talking and about- And the stock market is at record and highs. And the stock market's at record highs, let us not forget. She's talking about student loan debt being high. 
been high for a long time. Yep. She's talking about auto loans. Some more people now are defaulting on auto loans. That is not going to cause a crash, at least not a crash of the magnitude we saw in 2008 when we saw people not paying their mortgages yep. on time. Much bigger problem, Mo- right? Yeah, spot on. And I mean, we're not going to sort of go through every single point she makes, but I'll just pull out one and try to illustrate it. So she says um, consumer debt levels have never been higher. That sounds so bad. It sounds terrible, but uh, in reality, when you have a growing population and a growing economy and increasing employment, it makes sense that consumer go debt out and would more. always go up. People are, I mean, you know, everything is always at the highest level ever in a normally functioning economy. Mm-hmm. Measured another way, the way it actually matters. Uh, so these are da- this is data from the Federal Reserve. Uh, they measure uh, total consumer debt as a percentage of uh, personal income. The peak was 13.2 percent. Uh, so you owe 13.2 percent of your income in debt. That whether that's mortgage, uh, car loan, consumer credit card debt, everything. Um, it's now 9.9 percent. So it fell from 13.2 percent in 2007, right before the last recession, to 9.9 percent now. 9.9 percent is as low as it has been in the whole history of this data series, which goes to 1980. So as a percentage of income, consumer debt is at the lowest level on record. And she's calling that a giant problem that's going to cause the economy to crash. That's, yeah, I think you don't that's see crazy. that anywhere in what she just wrote up. You know, Jess, she, one of the other things um, the senator pointed to was the looming deadline for Congress to raise the U.S. debt ceiling. Uh, from, from the lawmakers that you're talking to, any feel that we're going to be able to do this successfully and that we're going to avoid another government shutdown, which could potentially cost our economy billions each week? Well, no one wants to see this happen, right? They say it would be catastrophic. Um, they don't want to have to do this. And that's why you're hearing some in the administration say that Congress needs to stay through the recess if they haven't had it gotten it figured out oh, by this August point. recess. Um, yes. Yes. Maybe they'll but, have to I work mean, through it. We hear that every year, right? We're going to delay August recess. We're going to stay and get this done. So we'll see. Lawmakers don't like to skip that time in their district. So I think there is motivation to get this done. We have to see if the president will sign on to whatever deal Speaker Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin come up with. I mean, as you know, the president, it's, it's not done until the president is on board, officially on board. He's signed all of the necessary things to sign until it is absolutely done. It's well, There's he, no guarantee. And he wasn't afraid to shut the government down before, but now, of course, we're in an election year. Do you think that that might, might be a little different? Yeah, it might be a little bit different because it puts some more pressure on him to avoid that scenario we saw earlier this year in, in January. I mean, when we had all of these workers who were out of work and, um, yeah, blaming the president for it, that they weren't getting their paychecks. Or, Rick, does he blame the Democrats? Say, listen, I don't want to shut the government down, but they just can't work with us. Well, I'm going to steal the suspense here, and (laughs) I'm just going to predict that uh, the debt ceiling is going to get raised. It always gets raised. Uh, I don't know why we make so much out of this drama. I guess it's because political reporters need something to do, but uh, it's just it's going to get raised, and um, Trump is not going to risk it. Uh, and, you know, a simple reason is this is not this is quite different from shutting down the government. Um, yeah. Markets would crater um, if the gov- if the government, you know, actually did not if we did not get this debt ceiling increase and then the Treasury had to start uh, figuring out which uh, which debts can it pay and which which does it choose or which which are the ones it's not going to pay. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Um, the closest we came to this was in 2011. Um, and it was a disaster. I mean, it was a total disaster. That's when the S&P downgraded, downgraded the U.S. credit rating. 
by a notch. Um, stocks tanked. It took six months. I mean, they signed. They, you know, they of course ultimately uh, extended the debt ceiling, but it took stocks six months to get back to where they were before uh, before that happened. Um, and it's not going to happen again. So, do you agree, Jess? It not only catastrophic for the economy and Main Street, but also for Wall Street for the stock market. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with Rick that you have to separate a government shutdown and the debt ceiling. They're two very separate things. And I I mean, they're intertwined in these negotiations. But I think, yes, the president would be willing to shut down the government again. We've seen that, even Mm -hmm. though nobody likes it. But I don't think that they would go without raising the debt ceiling. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren has even called to get rid of it altogether so we don't have to go through this over and over again. And part of this proposal that she's putting out said that we could get rid of the debt ceiling or make it to where it just automatically increases to cover the spending that Congress approves. So that's something else that she's calling for here in this proposal. I mean, the debt ceiling is a joke. It's yet another sort of forced drama we don't need to have. Um, It's supposed to impose spending discipline, but it never does. does. It never does. So why do we have it? Another thing she ticked off in that letter, uh, Senator Warren, about why there's this impending economic crash and doom is the inverted yield curve, which I know sounds very fancy schmancy. But what we've seen over the past 50 years or so is that when you have an inverted yield curve, it usually precedes a recession nearly all the time. And, And that's what the senator is pointing out here. But I would point out that this time is very different from previous times. Yeah. Uh, this is like a bad uh, research paper. It's it's it's, it's like a student who gets a, it's like, it's kind of like a. Well, she had her thesis, and she's and, trying I mean, to come up with he, points to back it up. That's right, and the problem is her. She's got a bogus thesis to start with. So yes, she's right that one way of measuring the yield curve it, uh, does show an inversion where short-term rates are higher than long-term rates, but the one. Uh, most commonly cited is not inverted right now. So that you know the details are. She's talking about she she cherry picked the ten year uh, rate versus the three month rate. That's the one that is inverted. But the one that everybody uh, th- says is the most important is the ten year compared with the two year rate. That is not inverted. Right. She doesn't tell you that. There's no footnote that says only one of the ways of measuring the yield co- curve shows an inversion. She just says winter is coming and she cherry picks her data point, and it's very unconvincing. Well, I think her argument is going to be put to the test, though, right? Because she says whether it's this year or next, the odds of another economic downturn are high and growing. And if she lists all of these solutions, the Republican Senate and President Trump are not going to go ahead with all of these solutions she outlines in the next year or before she would take office. So we'll see if she's right. I mean, if she says it's going to happen in the next year or, or so then that's before she would take (laughs) office. So we'll see how this plays out. This podcast is brought to you by the new Yahoo Finance Premium. Are you ready to take your investing to the next level? With premium features, advanced data, and a sophisticated new way to stay on top of your portfolio, you can trade with complete confidence. Because it's more than just your portfolio, right? It's your money. Yahoo Finance Premium lets you trade up using tools that help you go beyond the fundamentals with industry-leading insights and detailed company profiles. You can trade up to advanced portfolio tools that help you monitor allocation, diversification, and risk. You'll discover new opportunities with detailed research reports and investment ideas that are updated every single day. So are you ready to trade up? Try it free today at yahoofinance.com premium. Some of the 
other thing she's proposing that could prevent this, and she did say, you know, we have to take preventative measures. I don't know how this is happening between now and when she's predicting doomsday, is that we offer people free college. And we, we, forgive- we need to adopt her policies right. in order to prevent this terrible uh, crash of the economy from happening. Yeah, That's we've talked saying. a lot, Rick and I, Jess, have talked a lot about, you know, some of her proposals. Bernie Sanders has similar proposals about either forgiving student loan debt or making college free going forward. And then, of course, the big question is, well, how do you pay for all that? So right. I'm not so sure that I... I I definitely don't agree with all the things she outlined here about why she thinks we're going to have a recession. But I also don't think a lot of what she's proposing as a solution is feasible. I think that's true. And uh, at at an even broader level, I just don't think voters are going to buy it. And this is a problem the uh, Democrats have right now. Now, I cover the Trump economy on a practically an hourly basis. You do. And um, there are there are problems in the Trump economy. I mean, growth is slowing. The tax cuts didn't really accomplish any any of the things that Trump said they would accomplish. Uh, they did not trigger a big increase in uh, corporate spending or business investment. That's not happening. And we're probably going to have growth of around 2% this year, uh, down from 2.9% in 2018. Uh, and it's possible that Trump might find that the economy is working against him by election day of next year. We could be in a deeper slowdown than that. Um, if if uh, if workers and voters start to get a sense that companies are beginning to lay off workers, I think the you know uh, confidence will f- will come down quickly, and people will feel like something's wrong, and that could be Trump's burden. That is not happening yet, however. Uh, but can I, mean, I ask? Employers are, are still adding lots of jobs. Are Go we ahead. starting to see the cracks here? Because we don't know. Fed data uh, recently showed that. The U.S. manufacturing industry is in a recession technically because they've had two quarters of negative growth. I look at a lot of charts, and what you see in a lot of charts is uh, the the number was going up and up and up and up, but it's going up in a jagged fashion, but the trend line is up. And then in the last couple of months, you've seen a little downturn in that chart, but it could be just another jagged mark before it goes up some more, or it could be that point where it tips over. You know, employment, for example, manufacturing employment is another one. Industrial production is, is one that Elizabeth Warren talked about specifically, and I'll even find my chart here and show it to people. Um, she says we're in a manufacturing recession. Who want, whoever wants to, I'm sure people are going to be zooming in on my computer. So <laughs> Elizabeth Warren's manufacturing recession is right there where that line, it just tips over a little bit, right? right, right. But look at that, that. It was worse in 2014 and 2015. That's what the real recession looked like. That's not a recession. We've come a far way so in the manufacturing sector I, I since think then. the problem for Democrats is if, the, if you tell voters everything is terrible, um, they, will, they can fact check you instantaneously because they know if everything is terrible in their lives. And for a lot of voters, things are pretty good. And they're just going to say, uh, you know, you're just uh, you're making stuff up. Uh, you know, we don't love Trump, but but we don't. You're not helping your cause you by th- making stuff up by trying us to trying to persuade us that the economy is worse than it actually is in our own lives. Just do you think that's true? Because Warren and Sanders keep saying things like, "Sure, the economy is great for the one percent, for the wealthy, but talk to the average American. Are they enjoying the fruits of this robust economy?" No, I think that everybody can find something to to pick apart, right? You can find something that will back up your argument. But I think that if you look at her proposal, the things that she's highlighted make sense for why she's trying to do this. So I'll let you guys decide if it's a good idea or not. But her 
highlighting manufacturing. I mean, that has to be a way to counterpoint what the president is always saying. He's trying to get those those manufacturing jobs. He's always talking about the manufacturing jobs, how he's bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. And I think you have to find that counterpoint if you're campaigning against him, right? So I think that's one of the reasons she highlights that. And you talked about how she says that she called the financial crisis of 2008 when nobody else was paying attention. I think that's if you if you're a voter and you hear that and you hear someone saying, hey, I called this and no one listened to me and I'm saying it again, like that's not a bad way to try to get voters. I mean, yes, you have to go and fact check. But if you're looking at this from just a campaign perspective, I can understand why I she's doing just, that. I think she got it right. I mean, I, she knows what buttons to press. I'm not, sure, I don't, I'm not sure she knows what buttons to press. I mean, uh, she remember, she has to um, win a majority of the electoral vote. She doesn't just have to sell some books to people who are interested in her message. She does. She's not she she can't win by just preaching to the choir. I mean, she has to persuade a lot of other people to vote for her. And I think the 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 weakness of this approach, which is basically saying everything is terrible under Trump, is that Trump has legitimate weaknesses. Um, why not go specifically after his weakest points? Um, what he's doing on trade, for example, what he's, how, he's, how farmers are suffering um, because of the uh, trade wars and the retaliatory tariffs they have to deal with that are crushing farm exports to China and other places like that. Uh, you could go to uh, Trump's campaign promises and say, here are all the ones he hasn't kept and hasn't even tried to keep. I mean, prescription drugs, we've talked about that. He's done nothing on prescription drugs. We're going to have the greatest health care in the world. He's done nothing on that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot to tack Trump on that's legitimate, and which, which makes me scratch my head, is why they're trying to uh, make up this phony alternative economy where everything is in flames. You know, Trump likes to tweet often that the stock market's doing so well um, during his tenure. But if we really look, and, and Rick, I know you do this, you, you look at the charts and the numbers, and how is President Trump's stock market, if you will, compared to President Obama's stock market at the same time in each of those people's pregnancies? I'm uh, so uh, pre- glad you asked. Presidencies. I, I said pregnancies. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Uh, President Obama's pregnancies, um, yeah, let's more, start more with plausible, him first. more plausible. Uh, I'm gl- I'm so glad you asked because I happen to have some data right here for, uh, that I, I use I from the Trump Anonymous Report Card. So we we uh, measure the uh, stock market based on an index. This is data Moody's Analytics provides to us. So Trump, uh, they all started at 100. So the Trump um, stock market has gone from 100 starting point to 124. That was at the end of June. So that's a little bit dated. It's probably a little bit higher by now. So that's 124 for Trump. For Obama, at the same point in time, it was 180. So Obama was up 80% on stocks, whereas Trump's only up uh, 25%. But still, 25 is fine. It's not really the, uh, the right you know, comparing but yourself to But he's incorrect when he right tweets one. out it's the biggest gain the stock market's ever seen under a, you know, in this amount of time. We've never had, we've never had so much wealth and so right. much winning. Yeah, he's not right. Also, about remember that. from whence the stock market and the economy came yep. when President Obama came into office. Yeah, that's all true. Um, I think Trump is going to end up regretting his all of his um, braggish tweets on the stock market because uh, we got 15 or 16 months to go until the election. And there are many signs that uh, stock markets are not going to 
be higher uh, by the, by election day of 2020 and uh, could be significantly lower. So that would be kind. It, by the way, you don't really need a recession scenario for stocks to be lower. Absolutely. Um, now, I know everybody who prognosticates about stocks doesn't get it right. <clears throat> and uh, a lot of these forecasts, could, it could turn out to be wrong. But boy, is there a lot of sentiment among Wall Streeters that uh, we are very, very close to the top and uh, the best days are behind us. Well, we've been saying that for years now as this thing gets pretty well, darn long um, in the tooth. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, um, valuations are looking more stressed, and we now have the Trump trade war um, to contend with. But we at, also at, have a, a which Fed, could turn out happen to be a very, a very f- stock market-friendly Federal Reserve. Yep. So uh, we'll see. And they're, they're probably going to help the stock market by cutting rates. Um, but we uh, this, the Fed does not <laughs> just does not have much room to run on rates. I mean— no, goodness knows they don't have a lot of wiggle room. But just I'm curious, just from where you're sitting there in D.C., uh, Joe Biden, where does he fit into all of this? He seems to be very quiet as Elizabeth Warren's coming out and warning of doom and disaster. Where does Biden, you think, stand in all this? Well, it, he, when you bring up Biden, that highlights the debate that you're having when you talk about the very progressive wing of the Democratic Party and then a more moderate approach that could get those middle of the road voters. And I think Biden is trying to do that. He's saying we should build upon the ACA, build upon Obamacare, don't get rid of it. Um, so I think you're you're seeing him kind of go back to the Obama era and say, we just need to build on what we have and get better. And then you have the progressive wing like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders who are saying, you know, that's not going far enough. We need to go further. We can't just turn backwards, as they put it, to the Obama administration era, though they praise that time. They say they need to move forward from that. Um, So I think Biden perfectly highlights just that debate that you're seeing within the Democratic Party of which way is best to go. Do we get more voters if we just go all out and and have these more radical proposals? Or are we going to be more successful and pick up some maybe moderate Republicans by trying to find that middle of the road approach? So, so yeah, Biden is an interesting argument. I don't know. We're going to see how, how that all plays out. The Democrats have a Tea Party-ish problem. Uh, this, is, right. this is the kind of p- problem the Republicans had going back. Prob- I guess you would date this to probably 2012 presidential-wise, Jess, uh, with Mitt Romney when you know, you have in order to win the primary, you have to pr- you have to cater to the uh, more extreme uh, wing of your party, which which beginning around 2010 was the Tea Party. In 2012, uh, Mitt Romney famously said that he was severely conservative when, in fact, he was not severely conservative, which um, sounds like him, a disease helped him win, <laughs> what that helped is. Him win the primary. Um, but then made him uh, looks it hurt him in the general election. Right. So that's what we have all the Democrats doing. They're now trying to move to the left to win the primary, do well in the primary. Um, but that it would probably will hurt them in the general election you if, know that ter- if that kind of p- candidate ends up being the nominee. It's a confusing time uh, f- for the American consumer of politics because don't believe the hype. You know, Elizabeth Warren's throwing a lot of hype our way. President Trump throws it our way almost every day on Twitter. It's hard to to, to sift through. Well, what can you believe? Uh, well, that's the thing. We got You got to listen to podcasts <laughs> like this or sort of try to help sort it all out. At least we hope. We want to thank everybody for listening to Ballads and Dollars from Yahoo Finance. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Alexis TV News. Rick? Rick J. Newman. And Jess? Jessica A. Smith 8. All right. We're going to be back next week with a new, another new episode. In the meantime, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and review what you just heard. Thanks for being stars. with us. This was a 12 star. 12 star. Wow. Okay. <laughs> thank you guys.